the, the thoughts um, we're going to look at dovetail really nicely with what um, the other brother Dave um, said this morning. Um, but I was thinking while he was talking about the shepherd, how probably the, with what way my mind works, I could probably identify more with someone who herds cats rather than than sheep. Um, so we, we're going to pull on lots of threads uh, this morning slash afternoon. Um, and they're not complete. So I would be really grateful if you can think of anything um, to, to complete those thoughts uh, to come to me afterwards. Um, that'd be great. So poor old David, he, he spent a lot of his life fleeing, didn't he? Whether it was from uh, Saul or whether it was from Absalom. Um, we're not going to cover it all. And we're only going to cover a very um, limited um, bit of that flight. Um, but we're going to look at the, the very start, which we um, have here in 1 Samuel 21, um, and also look at the, the interesting relationship that David had with Achish or Abimelech, um, the king um, of Gath, uh, one of the five lords of the Philistines. And so prior to the, the chapter that um, my brother Dave read, David had fled from Saul, and we know that Saul had tried to kill him with a javelin. And he spent a bit of time with Samuel and this was before he asked Jonathan to, to confirm for him um, whether Saul's anger was just a flash in the pan or whether Saul was intent in killing him. And Jonathan confirms to David that actually you know, David, uh, King Saul does want you dead. And um, straight after this, we pick up the narrative in 1 Samuel 21. And the, the first place that David comes to is um, to seek refuge at Nob, uh, which was the city of the priests, where um, I believe the tabernacle would have been as well. And we read in this chapter that he meets Ahimelech, the high priest, and other than perhaps some youths, which were servants of him, David was evidently all alone at this time. Um, and we see that this, this really unnerves Ahimelech. But David, he asks Ahimelech for two things. So in verse three, uh, we read that, uh, what is now therefore what is under thine hand, give me five loaves of bread in mine hand, or what there is present. And verse eight, um, David said, unto Ahimelech, and, there, and is there not here under thine hand spear or sword? For I have neither brought my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And so we ask for these two things, five loaves of bread um, and a sword. So things to feed for himself and things to defend himself with. And, and you can understand this, can't you, I mean, the predicament that uh, David was. And what did Abimelech give him, or Ahimelech, sorry? Uh, firstly, in verse four, we read that the priest answered David and said, there is no common bread under mine hand, but there is hallowed bread, if the young men have kept themselves at least from women. And I suspect that David had come to Nob on the Sabbath day. And Jesus, I think, confirms this for us by using uh, the very example of David taking the showbread as being forbidden under the law as a response to the Pharisees asking him why his disciples ate corn on the Sabbath. And uh, Jesus goes on to say, doesn't he, that the Sabbath is for man, not um, man for the Sabbath. And it may also have been part of the reason why David came to Nob in the first place, as it was the Lord's day. Um, and also we read of Doeg, don't we, who was there as well, not um, a godly person, we'd, I think we'd agree. Um, it may have been why he was detained in uh, Nob on that day, because as it, verse, um, as it says in verse 7, um, because the people were told in Exodus 16, 29, see for the Lord hath given you the Sabbath, therefore he giveth you on the sixth day the bread of two days, abide ye every man in his place, let no man go out of his place on the seventh, seventh day. And we know it was a, a Jewish tradition, wasn't it, that they weren't allowed to go more than um, 2,000 cubits on the Sabbath. Now the, the punishment for, for contravene, uh, contravening these Sabbath laws was death um, by stoning, which 
if indeed this was the Sabbath day and David had travelled, um, he was also given the hallowed bread, two things which were um, against the law, it means that David um, should have been subject to death. And again, this might be another reason why um, Ahimelech was afraid to meet David, um, because he maybe he knew what the consequences should have been. And so it's interesting to note then that David asks for these five loaves, um, the number that we associate with grace, um, the very thing that saved all of us, um, who are, of course, under a sentence of death uh, because of the law um, and the sin that we do. The other thing that David asked for uh, was a sword. And he says that he left his behind. And what did Ahimelech give him? Well, in verse 9, we read that the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom thou slewest in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here, wrapped in a cloth, behind the ephod. If thou wilt take that, take it, for there is no other save that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it to me. And so the sword of Goliath was wrapped in a cloth. But that, that word cloth is usually translated as garment or raiment, um, and it, it begs the question, doesn't it, whose clothes were they um, that were uh, the, the sword of Goliath were wrapped in? Uh, were they priestly clothes or were they clothes of Goliath himself? Well, we're told um, that when Goliath had been defeated in, in 1 Samuel 17, that verse 54 tells us David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armour in his tent. And the word for armour, it uh, can be translated jewels, stuff, armour, vessels, weapons, thing, um, and also bags. So I suggest that it wasn't necessarily just the armour that David put in his tent, but all of Goliath's personal belongings, uh, which may have included the clothes, his armour um, and his weapons. And some have suggested that it, it wasn't actually David's tent. Um, I'm not sure why he would have had a, a tent there. Um, he, we know that he came to the battle only to deliver some bread and to his brothers. Um, whether he had a tent to live in as a shepherd, um, I don't know. But um, others have suggested that it was the tabernacle um, that he put these things in. And perhaps this is uh, the right interpretation, um, because if we come to 1 Samuel 31, we read of what the Philistines did to Saul when they'd slain him. And I would imagine that when Goliath stepped forward to make his challenge to the armies of Israel, that they were expecting King Saul, the, the tallest man in the land, the king, um, the leader that was going to fight their battles for them, was going to be the one that was going to come out and fight him. And we read in uh, 1 Samuel 31 verse 8, that it came to pass on the morrow when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen in Mount Gilboa. And they cut off his head and stripped off his armour and sent into the land of the Philistines round about to publish it in the house of their idols and among the people. And they put his armour in the house of Ashtaroth, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. So just like David had done to Goliath, um, they cut off Saul's head, and they took his armour to the house of their gods, with its final resting place in the house of Ashtaroth. And that word armour is exactly the same word um, as we find in 1 Samuel 21. And so in what they did, they mimicked um, the same thing that David did to their champion. Uh, and possibly it showed you know, revenge. You kill our champion, we'll kill yours. But David being David, um, it also wouldn't surprise me if he had followed what the children of Israel did with their spoils of war in, in Numbers 31 and verse 50, uh, where it says that we have therefore brought an oblation for the Lord what every man hath gotten of jewels, of gold, chains, bracelets, rings, earrings, and tablets to make an atonement for our souls before the Lord. 
And so his battle was just with that one person. Um, but it, it appears that he had gifted this armour and weapons of Goliath as an oblation to God, perhaps um, some kind of free will of offering, recognising his gratitude to the Lord for delivering him from his enemies. Um, but we also know that the people at this time um, needed that atonement as well, didn't they? Um, they lacked faith, cowering before the Philistines. And so David, he, he didn't go into the tabernacle to seek the showbread um, and to seek the, the sword of Goliath, even though that he knew they would be there. He didn't go demanding these things as the future king of Israel, but he, he humbled himself, um, as again, as, as Brother Dave mentioned in his talk, um, to be an, an errand from the king. But he left the tabernacle. He started this period of flight, a period of trial in the wilderness with two things um, that were ded dedicated to God and um, two holy things which were given to him by the high priest. And so the picture we build here, we start to build is one of the Lord Jesus Christ as his first coming, um, who humbled himself and the types and similarities um, don't end here either. And we're going to look at quite a few of them. Um, I don't look at all of them. Um, if you look at the um, the book of Luke, um, and then follow some of the um, some of the events that David uh, inflicted on David, or um, happen uh, during this first part of flight. There's actually quite a lot of similarity between the two. But Jesus started his manner, his uh, ministry, sorry, in in a very similar manner. That as David started this this trial of um, this period of trial with the bread and the sword, um, we know that Jesus was the Word made flesh. Um, the sword being a type of the word of God. Um, Hebrews, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And of course, the, the bread is a symbol of Christ's body, isn't it? Not just any body, um, but, uh, but a body solely dedicated to God, just as the, the showbread was. Continuing um, some types, uh, it was five loaves that David asked for, but he was given the showbread. And within that in mind, you'll know probably exactly where I'm going, Luke chapter 9. Um, so some of the types you may think are a little bit of a stretch, I'll let you decide that, but, um, but I don't think this one is. And in Luke chapter 9 verse 10, we're told that Jesus, he takes his disciples into a, a desert place, they're in a wilderness, just like David, and the people followed him to be healed, and he spoke to them of the kingdom of God. And we read in Luke 9 verse 12, that when the day began to wear away, then came the twelve and said unto him, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the towns and country round about, and lodge and get victuals, for we are here in a desert place. Um, and it could describe David, didn't he? That's why he went to, to Nob, um, to get victuals. And it continues in verse 13 that Jesus said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they said, We have no more but five loaves and two fishes, except we should go and buy meat for all this people. For there were about five thousand men. And he said to his disciples, make them sit down by fifties in a company. And they did so and made them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and brake, and gave to the disciples to set before the multitude. And they did eat and were all filled, and there was taken up of fragments that remained to them twelve baskets. So obviously we have here Jesus um, asking for the bread. And he's given these five loaves, just as, as David had asked for those five loaves from Ahimelech. Not only does Jesus receive the five loaves, but he receives two fishes as well. Um, and this is one of the bits I've not quite figured out, um, the significance of the two fishes as well. But um, if you've got any ideas, 
Um, please tell me afterwards, or, or when I finish this point, feel free to, to shout out. Um, the link that's perhaps not quite so obvious, and we can get if we turn to Leviticus 24, and keep a marker in Luke 9. Sorry, should have said that beforehand. Um, so we'll, we'll be coming back there. So that the five loaves that Jesus had, um, it not only filled those 5,000 people, but we've got those 12 uh, baskets of fragments. Um, David sought five loaves, but didn't get them, perhaps um, showing that the grace that we now live under um, through Jesus' redeeming work had, had not yet been uh, bestowed upon man. But he was given the showbread, which we read of here in Leviticus 24, verse 5. Um, and God says, thou shalt make, so take fine flour and bake 12 cakes thereof. Two tenth deals shall be in one cake. And thou shalt set them in two rows, six on a row, upon the pure table before the Lord. And thou shalt put pure frankincense upon each row, that it may be on the bread for a memorial, even an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Every Sabbath he shall set in order the Lord continually before the Lord and continually, sorry, being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. And it shall be Aaron's and his sons, and they shall eat it in the holy place. For it is most holy unto him of the offerings of the Lord, made by fire, by a perpetual statue. And, and I don't think it should be lost on us, that last verse, that it was the most holy of the offerings of the Lord, only to be eaten in the holy place by Aaron and his sons. And yet David took that bread. Um, away from the holy place. Um, but the link comes in that verse five that the showbread was made up of 12 cakes. Um, and so I don't think it's any coincidence that um, we have the five loaves, 12 baskets, we have five loaves and 12 cakes um, of the showbread. I have no idea. Well, quite a few of mine are gonna be tenuous as well, so <laughs> it fits in five. But, um, yeah, possibility. Um, yeah, it's Dagon, wasn't it, the fish got? Um, and we'll touch on that a little bit later as, as well, actually. So, so yeah. Um, so the only thing that I possibly thought of was that the fishes represent um, Jesus, uh, those called after Jesus' ministry, um, that there would be no differentiation perhaps between those called, the Gentiles, um, and the children of Israel. So when we get the 12 baskets being brought up, um, there's no differentiation there. It just says 12 baskets of fragments, but, but yeah, cogitate on it. Um, but moving on, um, we can also get some interesting links with Jesus through the sword. Um, and some of these links were planted in my brain uh, by a brother like Luke Whitehouse, who um, we discussed this before, did a, a talk on some types of Jesus um, and David and Goliath. Um, so I can't remember all of them and, and which ones were his, which ones are mine. But, um, but if you can find that talk, um, then, then seek it out. Um, but if you've got a marker in uh, Luke chapter 9, uh, just before the, the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus um, says um, in the first verse, uh, Luke 9 verse 1, he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said unto them, take nothing for your journey, neither staves nor scrip, neither bread, neither money, neither have two coats apiece. And whatsoever house ye enter into, there abide and thence departs. Um, and in, in 1 Samuel 17, verse 40, um, in contrast, we're told that when David went to challenge Goliath, and um, we're told that he, he had a stave and he, he had a scrip, um, and he chose those um, smooth stones out of the brook. Um, but Jesus follows this up in Luke chapter 22, if you'll turn there with me. 
Um, and in Luke 22, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was taken. And it kind of suggests to me that the, the initial part of their preaching was done, and the preaching um, mainly to the people of Israel. And perhaps during this time, they, they wouldn't have needed um, those things in, in a very <coughs> practical sense, because they were, they were their fellow countrymen, they were very hospitable, and hospitable um, nation um, at the time. Um, and naturally, they would have been glad to hear the words um, preaching of the kingdom that the disciples were spreading. Um, but in Luke 22, verse 35, we kind of get the opposite thing. Um, Jesus says unto them, when I sent you without purse and scrip and shoes, lacked ye anything? And they said nothing. Then said he unto them, but now he that hath a purse, let him take it. Likewise his scrip, and he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say unto you that this that is written must yet be accomplished in me. And he was reckoned among the transgressors, transgressors for the things concerning me have an end. And they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said unto them, it is enough. Now, this is a different message, isn't it? That he says, take your purse, take your scrip. Um, but not only that, he says, if you haven't got a sword, sell your garment and buy one. And it seems um, quite a strange message for Jesus to give, doesn't it? He's a, um, spread um, the message of peace um, and he healed people. Um, he was uh, seen as um, a teacher, uh, not a warrior. Um, but again, we perhaps get a link um, if we um, read that verse 38 again. He says, Lord, behold, there are two swords. And he said unto them, it is enough. So again, keep a marker in Luke and come back to 1 Samuel 13. And this is the very beginning of Saul's reign. Uh, he'd reigned for two years and he had chosen 3,000 men to make an incursion against the Philistines. But we're told that after they did that, such was the might of the Philistines that the people of Israel fled because the Philistines came against them in force. And part of the reason they fled, we find in 1 Samuel 13 and verse 19. Samuel 13 verse 19 we read that it came to pass while Saul talked unto the priests sorry chapter now there was no smith found throughout all the land of Israel for the Philistines said lest the Hebrews make them swords or spears but all the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every man his share and his quarter and his axe and his mattock yet they had a file for the mattocks and for the quarters and for the forks and for the axes and to sharpen the goads. Um, and we, we read in 2 Kings 24 verse 14 that Nebuchadnezzar did um, the same thing. He took all the craftsmen away from Israel um, and um, moved them to Babylon, um, probably for the same reason, to try and stop any potential uprising um, if they couldn't make any weapons. But it continues verse 22 that it came to pass in the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan, but with Saul and with Jonathan, his son was there found. And so it appears at this time, the very start of um, Saul's reign, that there was only two swords in the whole of Israel and those with David and Jonathan. And again, perhaps interesting um, to note that David was offered both of these swords um, at, at some point, um, 1 Samuel 17 verse uh, 38. We read that Saul armed David with his armour, and he put an helmet of brass upon his head. Also, he armed him with a coat of mail, 
And David girded his sword upon his armour, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off. And then uh, we read in 1 Samuel 18, verse 4, that Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. And so David rejected the sword of Saul, um, but we're not told that he rejected the sword of Jonathan and his offering. Um, Again, maybe a link showing that Jesus rejected the word of um, the spiritual leaders of the day, but he took up the message of John the Baptist, um, who surely Jonathan is a type. Um, But back in the garden, Luke 22, we read in verse 41 that Jesus withdrew a stone's cast. Not a big jump to um, see the link with David and his fights uh, with Goliath. And we continue in verse 47, that while Jesus yet spake, behold a multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, uh, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? And when they which were about him saw what would follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? And one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear and healed him. Now for, for Peter to cut off the servant's ear, um, I imagine that he was aiming for his head. Um, so his intent was to, um, I would suggest, cut off um, this man's head. And we're told in John's record, and it always perplexed me for, for quite a while actually, that this servant's name was Malchus, and this means kingly. Um, perhaps a strange name for a servant to have, isn't it? Um, kingly. And I wonder whether this could be applied to David in a couple of ways. Firstly, that David, we know, cut off Goliath's head, and that symbol of sin. And it was uh, Jesus' job to do that. It wasn't Peter's. The power of sin um, was stunned with Christ's crucifixion. Um, perhaps link it to the fact that um, Peter's name meant the rock. No, the stone hitting first and then Jesus cutting off afterwards. Um, when the power of sin will finally be dis- destroyed when uh, Jesus returns to the earth. Um, and I know we've got at least one revelation, well, quite a few revelation experts in, in here, haven't we? So th- there is that verse in Revelation 13, verse 14, um, that the beast deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image of the beast, beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. So again, any of you Revelation experts, if that is actually applicable to this, then, uh, then please let me know. But um, Secondly, David cut off the hem of Saul's garment um, when he had a chance to kill the king. Um, he knew that he would be promised, um, he had been promised that he would be king, um, and if he did kill him, he could be anointed as king and his exile would end. But he knew that it wasn't his time, that God would appoint the time, um, in a similar way that Jesus had that temptation um, where he could call upon the 12 legions of, of angels that he knew as well that he had to go through with his suffering. But Jesus continues in verse 52. Um, Jesus said unto the chief priests and captains of the temple and the elders which would come to him, be ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves. Um, and it's something again Goliath says to David in 1 Samuel 17 verse 43. Am I a dog uh, that thou comest to me with staves? The place which Jesus was crucified was Golgotha. 
uh, the place for skull, um, which is undoubtedly where David buried uh, Goliath's head. Uh, the place which David slew Goliath uh, was in the Valley of Elah, uh, which according to my exhaustive dictionary of Bible names, uh, means either oak, strong tree, or denunciation of a curse. Um, all of those things fitting um, with Jesus's crucifixion. And according to the same book, um, Goliath means exile, taken captive or stripped. Um, and in Mark's gospel, we read of a captive who was stripped, um, Mark 14, verse 51. And there followed him a certain young man having a linen cloth cast about his naked body. And the young men laid hold on him. And he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. Um, and it's perhaps another echo with Jonathan who, who stripped himself and gave everything um, to David. Um, and when David came to the battle before he slew Goliath, um, he came to give his um, brethren bread um, and he was rejected of them. They thought he'd just come to um, see the battle, whereas Jesus was also rejected of his brethren. The victor over Goliath uh, was to be given a bride, uh, the daughter of the king, no less, um, as one day we too will also witness the marriage of the Supper of the Lamb, marriage supper of the Lamb, uh, wed to his multitudinous bride. And David was given kingly garments by wearing Saul's armour, um, but they were again taken off uh, before he went to battle. Uh, Jesus was given the scarlet or the purple robe and mocked as the king of the Jews, um, but this was again taken off before um, he was crucified in his own garments given to him. Um, and the types, they're not only limited to uh, the account with Goliath either. Um, in Jesus' first temptation, um, his response to, to the adversary is that it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Um, and we again have the bread and the sword um, in that quote. The second temptation um, to take the kingdom for himself, we've already we touched on, David had that temptation, didn't he, on more than one occasion when he could have killed Saul. Um, and the third temptation, stretching on the tenuous, but um, we know that Jesus, he didn't need to prove that God was God, did he? He had the utmost faith, um, and that's what it means to be tempted, that he, um, to, to prove. Um, he knew that that God would look after him and all the things that he'd been told were true. And when David tried on Saul's armor and sword, he, he didn't take them because we're told that he hadn't proved them. Um, it's the same word. Um, but he had utmost faith that God would look after him. He, he didn't need a, a Gideon moment with, uh, with the fleece and the Jew. Um, and the last kind of direct comparison before we move on um, is that after David had left, um, the high priest Ahimelech was um, slain by Doeg at the commandment of Saul because of Doeg's false witness against him and David. And Doeg, um, he was an Edomite, uh, which means red, obviously a symbol of sin, um, but he was also the chief herdsman or shepherd. And I noticed you went to a passage which, which talked about the chief herdsman, which I didn't pick up on. Um, so this was, the, the, I suppose, like an antichrist, the, um, the evil shepherd having condemned a good shepherd and one who served God. Uh, with his false witness. Now, after um, David had, had left the house of God, he fled straight to Achish, the Philistine king of Gath and the Philistines. And before this, we know that he'd, of course, slew, um, slew, um, he, of course, slew Goliath. And 
whether it was in relation to that particular battle or later battles as well, we read in 1 Samuel 18 that the women sang, um, verse 7, um, that Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And we're told that this was actually the turning point. It didn't take very long, but it was the turning point of Saul's jealousy towards David and the catalyst for him starting uh, to try to kill him. And chapter 18 mentions several times about how David was victorious over the Philistines in one way or another. So they must have wondered when they saw him turn up on his own uh, with the sword of Goliath, no less, um, what was going on. They must have thought it was quite bizarre. But look at what they say in 1 Samuel 21 um, and verse 11. It's 1 Samuel 21 verse 11. Uh, we read that the servants of Achish said unto him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing one to another of him in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? And so, a couple of points to note. They called David the king of the land, even though um, it was Saul that was king. Um, and so we have Gentiles calling um, David king before the Israelites did, um, another type there of, of Jesus. And they also knew of this chant, which the women uh, reveled in at the, at the Philistines' expense. And we're told um, in verse 12 that David laid up these words in his heart and was sore afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. It's, it's not a normal response for David, is it? Um, again, Brother Dave brought out, he was a man after God's own heart. Um, we're told that he, um, he was always dwelling on the word of God. Um, and it's also another link to um, Jesus where, um, when, again, Brother Dave mentioned about him being in the temple, uh, when, they, when he said, oh, it must be about my father's business, Mary, um, we're told, pondered Jesus' word in, our heart, in her heart. Um, but Achish, seeing that David was apparently mad, he, he deemed him of no use and sent him away. And we're told that David um, escaped to the cave of Adullam and everyone that was in distress and everyone that was in debt, everyone that was discontented, gathered themselves unto him and he became a captain over them. Um, and we could link that to Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But when David's band of men had grown uh, to 600, um, just glossing over, but we, he had a couple of encounters with Saul where um, he could have taken his life. Um, David returns to Gath at a later date, uh, so Saul would pursue him no more. And again, considering what happened the first time, we think this might be a little bit strange, but we don't read of any contention here um, between Achish and David. Um, David would have been here with families, with children, of livestock, so it would have been clear that he was here to seek refuge rather than, than to fight. And we're told in the second occurrence that Achish was the son of Maok. And Achish, again, according to my dictionary, it's a really useful book, uh, means serpent charmer or angry. And Maok means oppression and is from the root word that means to bruise or pierce. Um, and again, we've got more imagery there, haven't we, that um, he was accepted when the serpent was bruised um, and not before he was bruised. Um, and Achish gave David a city called Ziklag to dwell in. Um, and we're told that he spent a year and four months uh, with the Philistines. And David was busy uh, while he was there. He didn't just rest um, like he could have done. 
but we're told that he went through the southern coast of Judah um, and attacked uh, the original residents of the land. Um, and these were the people that the children of Israel failed to expel um, when they came in. And he brought back the spoil of all these raids to Achish to gain his trust. Um, he wasn't completely honest with, a with Achish. Um, he made him believe that he was attacking his own people, um, the people of Judah. And so much so that if we turn to 1 Samuel 27 verse 12, um, we read that Achish believed David saying, he hath made his people Israel utterly to abhor him. Therefore he shall be my servant forever. And Achish trusted him so much that when all five of the Philistine lords came together to try and defeat Israel um, um, once and for all in 1 Samuel 29, Achish brought David to fight um, alongside him. Um, and also note here, uh, addition out thanks, these, a lot of these points are taken from my dad. So yeah, yeah go and thank him afterwards if you enjoy them. Um, so he was probably thinking that David having pursued um, being pursued for such a long time by Saul that he would love this chance um, to take revenge and take the kingdom of Israel for himself. And what could be better of David being king, the Philistines um, and the people of Israel in peace at last? But it was quite a predicament for David, wasn't it? That if he didn't fight against um, Saul, Achish would know that he's still loyal to him. But we know that David wasn't going to lift his hand um, against uh, the Lord's anointed. Um, and he still loved Israel, of course, but the Lord was with David. We know that he always put his trust in him um, and it was, the decision was taken from him. Um, if we read in 1 Samuel 29, verse 3. Then said the princes of the Philistines, what do these Hebrews here? I um, mean, they call them the Hebrews um, more than anyone else in Scripture, the Philistines do. And Achish said unto the princes of the Philistines, Is not this David, the servant of Saul, the king of Israel, which hath been with me these days, all these years? And I found no fault in him, since he fell unto me this day. Again, link it back to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the princes of the Philistines were wroth with him. And the princes of the Philistines said unto him, Make this fellow return, that he may go again to his place, which thou hast appointed him. Let him not go down with us to battle lest in the battle he be an adversary to us, for wherewith should he reconcile himself unto his master? Should it not be with the heads of these men? And so Achish's response was, I found no fault in him, um, the same as Pilate said of Jesus. And they too use that phrase, um, that Saul slew his thousands and David his ten thousands, but it didn't invoke the same fear in David this time around. And it continues, verse 6, that Achish called David and said unto him, Surely as the Lord liveth, thou hast been upright, and thy going out and thy coming in with me in the host is good in my sight. For I have not found evil in thee since the day of thy coming unto me, unto this day. Nevertheless, the Lord's favour thee not. So Philistine uses the words, um, as the Lord liveth. And it's quite amazing, isn't it? Um, and it, it does show the, the influence of David and, and the fact, I'm sure, that he must have preached to Achish. But um, also, the place that the Philistines were gathered um, was a place called Aphek, uh, which means fortress. So it's possible that they, they may have had one there. But 1 Samuel 4 tells us that this was the site of, of one of their, their greatest victories. When Israel was defeated and the Ark of the Covenant was taken by the Philistines, um, and if you'll come back to 1 Samuel 5, um, we read that the Ark did a mini tour of uh, the major cities of the Philistines. 
And one of those cities that it went to um, was Gath, um, the hometown of Achish. And we read 1 Samuel 5, verse 8. Um, so this is just after it's been in uh, with Dagon, the fish god, and the, the ark had, or the power of God had made the, the um, statue fall over. Verse 8, they sent therefore and gathered all the lords of the Philistines unto them and said, what shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And they answered, let the ark of the God of Israel be carried about unto Gath. And they carried the ark of the God of Israel about thither. And it was so that after they had carried it about, the hand of the Lord was against the city with a very great destruction. And he smote the men of the city, both small and great, and they had emeralds in their secret parts. And I'm pretty certain the people of Gath would have not have forgotten this. Um, I'm not entirely sure what emeralds are, but if you've got swelling in your secret parts, you're not going to uh, forget it quickly, are you? Um, so the Philistines, we can see here, had reverence for the God of Israel. Um, but if we come back a chapter to 1 Samuel 4, um, verse 7, um, we read that the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God is coming to the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. Woe unto us, who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods. These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. And so they had some kind of understanding of God, but they thought the ark, um, an it was kind of an idol to them. They thought that was God. And so when we come back to um, David um, with Achish, um, it's going to be David that points out to him um, that the God is that God is not in the ark. He is not the ark. Um, he is all encompassing um, and the only true God. Um, and indeed, David is the one who uses this phrase, the Lord liveth uh, most more than anyone else. And it was an oath. Um, we can read from Jeremiah 4, verse 2, that thou shalt swear, the Lord liveth in truth, in judgment, in righteousness, and the nation shall bless themselves in him, and in him shall they glory. Um, and I think it's a very important oath because it is associated in that verse with God's glory. But God himself says in Numbers 14, verse 21, but as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. And so it was an oath that identified with the plan and purpose um, that God has for the world and that it should be full with his uh, glory. And so um, David is sent back to, um, sent back by Achish, so as to not please, uh, displease the other Philistine lords. And, and interesting, David, if you're back in 1 Samuel 29, he, he seems aggrieved to be sent away. Uh, we said earlier he's in a predicament, but um, again, maybe you've got some ideas as to why. But we read in 1 Samuel 29, verse 8, that David said unto Achish, but what have I done? And what hast thou found in thy servant so long as I have been with thee unto this day, that I may not go fight against the enemies of my lord, the king? Um, it doesn't say which lord, which king. Um, so maybe he was um, thinking of, of Saul. And this is the time where I can finally prove to Saul that I'm loyal to him. Um, so David returned to the land of the Philistines and to Ziklag and the city that he'd been given. Um, but he's... His return was providential, for we read in 1 Samuel 30, verse 1, that it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire. And had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city and behold, it was burned with fire. 
and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. And Saul had been told um, to utterly destroy the Amalekites in 1 Samuel 15. And I'm not sure how many years uh, would have passed up until this point, but it's possible that this incursion by the Amalekites was a direct result of, um, of Saul not doing what God told him to do. Um, that they had to find, um, find women, had to find um, some, some cattle and, and things to rebuild their nation uh, because um, Saul had, um, had smitten them, um, but not completely, as the Lord had said. Um, and as David and his men approached Ziklag, they would have seen the smoke, they would have seen the fire. Um, they wouldn't have found the bodies, but for all they knew, all their families were dead. Um, and so much so, if we look at verse 6, we read that David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And we see a similar response um, to Moses in the wilderness from the people of Israel. Um, and of course, um, Jesus in, in John 8, verse 58 and 59, then took they up stones to cast at him. Um, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. And what follows shows the character of David, doesn't it? Um, he encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. And that word encouraged means to fasten upon um, like some tether um, or an anchor. And, and again, we could think of Hebrews 6, um, talking of the hope uh, which is set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil. And David, um, he asked for the, the ephod um, to be brought forth. Um, I don't think it was the ephod of the high priest, um, because if we look back in 1 Samuel 28, we're told that Saul inquired of Urim, um, which was um, part of that ephod. Um, but nonetheless, it was a priestly garment. And, and again, like Brother Dave mentioned about his heart um, being right before God, that it would come out in other talks. He knew what he wanted to do. He wanted to go rescue his family. Um, and he still came before God to ask his guidance on it, that if that wasn't the right thing for him to do, um, then he wouldn't do it. Um, so it really shows in our own lives that even if we do have um, a course of action that we know we want to take, we should always go and seek guide, uh, God's guidance on it first. Um, not too much more. How long have I got? I know you all want your lunch. <laughs> Right. It's good for me, not so much for you, probably. Um, so we're told that David pursued the Amalekites, but 200 um, of the men were left at the brook Besor. And we're told that it's because they were faint. Um, and that word for faint, um, it's only used in this chapter, it's used twice, but it signifies um, that they were so tired that they looked like a corpse. Um, that's me, me every Monday morning. Um, but when he found the Amalekites um, eating and drinking, um, because of the spoil they'd taken, um, he, he slew them all. Um, and again, he, he found them um, off their guard, which you know, in times of um, the book of Daniel, we know um, that that's when um, the Babylonians were overthrown. Uh, but Jesus also warns us, doesn't he, of, um, as in the, were the days of no, uh, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving marriage. And we could also go back to the Garden of Gethsemane when and they were told to watch, but they all fell asleep. Um, so David defeated the Amalekites, and we're told that in verse 19, 
there was nothing lacking to them, neither great nor small, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that they had taken to them. And David recovered them all. And so they returned with all their families, with all the things which they had, and probably more because um, the Amalekites had raided um, the southern parts of Judah, um, as well as Ziklag. Um, and we read in verse 22 of 1 Samuel 30 that when they returned to the men who were faint, then answered all the wicked men and men of Belial, of those that, were, that went with David and said, because they went not with us, we will not give them aught of the spoil that we have recovered, save to every man his wife and his children, that they may lead them away and depart. Then said David, Ye shall not do so, my brethren, with that which the Lord hath given us, who hath preserved us, and delivered the company that came against us into our hand. For who will hearken unto you in this matter? But as his part is that goeth down to the battle, so shall his part be that tarrieth by the stuff. They shall part alike. And um, if you were to look at 1 Samuel 25, verse 13, when David um, goes to Nabal, um, we see the exact same thing there. 400 men went with him um, to fight against Nabal, but 200 stayed with the stuff. Um, again, Nabal was called a man of um, Belial, or Belial and one of his, uh, by one of his servants. And David, um, we can think of that parable that um, the, the, um, the work work people and um, husbandmen who all agreed for the same price um, they all received the same reward but David not only gave to those who were left behind but um, we're told that he gave it to all the towns and villages uh, which he had, he had visited while pretending um, to, to fight them and where was the first place that he sent um, all this spoil to well verse 27 says that he sent them um, to Bethel and the house of God. And so we started our thoughts in the house of God um, and we also end them there. And we can think of those words from Isaiah 53 talking of the Lord Jesus. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he hath poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And their words we've already heard today. Luke 22, verse 35, Jesus says unto them, When I sent you without purse and scrip and shoes, lack ye anything? And they said nothing. Then said he unto them, But now he that hath a purse, let him take it, and likewise his scrip. And he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. And here are the words. For, for I say unto you, that this that is written must be yet be accomplished in me. And he was reckoned among the transgressors. For the things concerning me have an end. And they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said unto them, it is enough. And so they too could be words spoken of David when he came into the house of God in Nob. He had nothing. Um, he had been blessed by our father with um, a family. And then in his absence from Ziklag, they'd been taken captive because Saul had failed to defeat the sinful Amalekites. And so David bore the sins um, of others. But after he returned from this absence, he liberated the people, his family, with the sword and freely gave to those who stood by him. Those who may be as corpses, those who have perhaps fallen asleep. Um, but um, the word for Besor, where these people were, um, means good news. 
And so those people were awaiting the good news of David's return. And so it's a lovely picture, isn't it, that that's what we are doing. We too are, are waiting at that um, brook Besor for the Lord's return, when the seed of David will liberate the world from sin. And truly as I live, saith the Lord, all the earth shall be filled with my glory.